it's really showing up in big ways to, um, to show how faithful he is. So if you have a Bible today, if you want to pull that out, or if you have a, an app on your phone with a Bible, you can open that up. And then if you um, go on to our app, it's FC Online is the name of the app. All of the scriptures that I'll be looking at today, maybe some that we're not going to read are in that app as well in our notes. Um, but I want to share just a, a couple of things about three words that God has put on my heart for this season. And when I say this season, I would say um, that season started about March 1st. And I think we've, I, I keep waking up every morning and wondering if it's April yet. Um, and in my mind, it's still March, but, but it's actually September. And so uh, this has been a wild ride. It's been a wild year, a wild season. And, and throughout this season, there's three words that I continue to have in my heart. And I kind of forgot about those three words for a while. But those three words are this word reset. Uh, reset, revival, and then this strange phrase, uh, born again, baby boom. So three words are, are reset, revival, and born again, baby boom. And, and the, the first word to look at uh, today is this, this word reset. What does it mean uh, to reset? I, I believe that when this season started in March, and you say, what season? And we'll just call it the 2020 season. Um, when the season started, I, I believe that we'd be going through a period of reset. And, and what that means is a reset of maybe getting things back to where they needed to be. A reset of getting things back to where they needed to be and getting back on course from where we may have lost our direction. And so I'm not here today um, just to speak words out into the atmosphere, but I'm talking about our own hearts, our own hearts. Like, where have we gotten off track that we need to get back on track? Where have we lost our way that we need to get back into direction? And so it's the idea of reset. And, and as that idea of reset came into my mind, um, I just didn't think it would take this long. I didn't think we'd still be resetting. Um, some of you grew up in, in the greatest generation where the Nintendo Entertainment System was the most advanced video game console on planet Earth. And that reset button, you had, you had to push sometimes several times to reset until a game could begin. And so there's not resets like there were uh, back then. And so kids these days don't know what it's really like to hold onto a plastic cartridge and blow off the dust and hit reset. Like, just the smell of holding a game in your hand is much better than one streaming. I didn't think this would take so long. And so here's, here's what I'm realizing. And if you could just focus in on this for a minute, here's what I'm realizing. I'm realizing that every foundation that we have built outside of Christ is being shaken right now. Every foundation that you and I and our culture has built outside of Christ is absolutely being shaken. I, I think we're starting to realize that foundations or things in our lives, our church and our society, there's, there's things that don't really matter. There's things that mattered a lot to us back in February that maybe don't matter a whole lot any longer. Things that were very important to us that maybe now are not as important. And, and just maybe we're starting to realize that we took a whole lot of things for granted in life. And so things are being shaken. Listen to this verse from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. 
but the house did not fall. Why? Jesus says, because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus then says in, in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And so what we can do when we read the words of Jesus is we could say, well, I know a lot of people who've built their house on the sand. Um, thank God I built my house on the rock. And we can become very arrogant and, and very much puff ourselves up. But I want you to ask yourselves, what are the areas and the foundations in your life that you have built on the sand that are being shaken? And where have you built your house, your life on the rock that exists in Christ? Jesus said he would build his church on a rock. That rock is this confession that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And so what is your house, your life, your family built on? And throughout this season, this 2020 season, we're starting to wake up to this reality. And some of you maybe never realized it before. And I don't think I realized it to the extent. But I'm starting to realize that, that the world was never really for me. And, and when I say for me, I don't mean like, oh, for me like I like it. But for me, the the, the the worldly systems, the enemy systems aren't really for me. They, they, they don't exist to take care of me. And, and so some of us are starting to wake up to the fact that like, wow, like for example, Hollywood doesn't really care about me. Um, the, the mainstream media, um, Fox, CNN, whatever, whatever it is, they don't really care about me. Right, starting to realize that maybe our government system and our leaders aren't really for us. And maybe they don't really care about us or at least don't always have our best interest in mind. And so we've built foundations on these things like, well, at least we can trust in Hollywood and our favorite celebrity. At least we can trust in our educational systems, our governments, our Senate, our Congress, our president, uh, an American way of life. Maybe we can trust in all these things. But, but what's happening is those foundations are being shaken right now. Regardless of where you stand politically, it doesn't really matter. Those things are being absolutely shaken. And either your house will fall when those things are shaken, or your foundation in Christ will be the only thing holding your house up. And so there's this idea. Rock, foundation, sand, sifting, shaking, falling, standing. I'll, I'll use another analogy, and I, and I don't use the analogy um, with any disrespect to fires that are going on uh, around us and that we've been through this week. But another way to look at this, instead of our foundation being shaken, another way to look at it is that we're being tested right now and refined in the fire. Right now, as a society, we're being tested and refined in a fire. And everything that was not of Christ is being burned away. Everything that was not of Christ is being uh, burned away, and the things that are of Christ are being refined and getting stronger. And so we need to be careful to what we're holding on very tightly to, or else we might find everything being burned away. And so as we're being refined in the fire, what kind of stuff are you holding on to? Well, I'm still holding on to this, or I'm still holding on to my job security, my 401k. I'm still holding on to, to my own personal dreams and visions. But but if we're not holding on to Christ, anything else we hold on to right now, I guarantee it's being burned away. And if you haven't realized that yet, um, I, think, I think we're going to, and we are, and it's painful. So there's a lot of followers of Jesus, a lot of believers right now that I see 
um, while we're being refined in the fire and while things are being shaken, I'm seeing a lot of believers drifting further and further away from Jesus and further and further towards the world as their foundations are cracking and the fires are lapping on to what they held on to so tight. Now, I'm going to say that again, and I'll ask a question. There's a lot of believers, Christians right now, I'm seeing that are moving further and further away from Jesus and further and further toward the world. And the question I want to ask is, who comes to mind when I say that? Like, oh, I know that person, my neighbor, uh, this person in my church. Yeah, that's them. We're not talking about them. We're talking about you, you and me. Are we moving further and further away from Jesus and further and further toward the world while our foundations are being shaken? Because I'm seeing that take place. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes this in, in his book, chapter 4, verse 4, James 4, 4. He says, as, as God's spirit leads him along, he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And some of you may have grown up in, in very conservative churches, and they use that word, the world, or worldly a lot, and that, that's okay. But sometimes we use those words so much we don't know what they actually mean. What does it mean to be a friend of the world? What does it mean um, to be at enmity with God? We're talking about worldly systems, Worldly systems, worldly things that do not fall into alignment with the Word of God. And as we discussed in our series, Suit Up, um, that if someone has flesh and blood, they're not your enemy. Our enemies are our principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness and heavenly places. And so worldly systems are systems of the devil and spiritual forces that are against us. And we have to stop and ask ourselves, what are we in love with? Are we in love with the world or are we in love with the God who created the world, but not the worldly systems. But not only am I seeing some people move further away from Christ and further towards the world, I'm actually seeing some believers taking Christ, taking their relationship with Christ, and taking his word more seriously because they're realizing that he is all that they have. And so if you had to look at your life from February to today, would you say, oh, I've trusted in Jesus more? Or would you look back at February until today and say, I've actually found myself further away from God and further and further toward the world? Um, John 6. Jesus tells this, this story. He preaches a sermon to, to thousands and to many of his disciples, and he says something that really offends them. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you, you take no part in me. And people get a little bit grossed out, and they take Jesus' words out of context. And so thousands of people leave, and only 12 are left standing. And it says, after this, many of his disciples, John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. So Jesus said to the 12 who remained, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And another way to paraphrase or some of your Bible translations may say that Peter said, we don't have anywhere else to go. We have nothing else but you, Jesus. We have nothing else but you. 
And so right now, I think that what we are seeing right now with what our world is going through in so many directions is Jesus might look at us and say, you want to leave too? Is this too much for you? Is is asking you to, to die to yourself and to carry your cross and follow me? Is that too much for you? And, and, and Jesus wants us to say like Peter, man, Jesus, I don't know, but you're, you're all I've got. Only you hold the words of eternal life. So this word is reset, remember? Reset. And if you haven't allowed yourself to experience reset yet, here's what I want you to know. It's very painful. Reset hurts. Reset causes you to question everything that you held on to and held dear. Reset is painful, and if you have not yet allowed yourself to experience reset, I want to encourage you, um, do it. Do it. If there's any year to do it, I think 2020 is probably the year to feel some pain. Do it. Experience reset. Maybe ask yourself this week, as you're thinking through ideologies or ideas or, or beliefs or things that you're following or trusting, ask yourself, do these things line up with the Word of God? Not does this, does this news commentator line up with the Word of God, but is what I hold in my heart, does it line up with God's Word? Allow yourself to be reset. Let's look at this verse, Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 2. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Um, your mind may not be in sync with the mind of God. My mind is rarely in sync with the mind of God. I need the Holy Spirit to sync my mind with the mind of God. So don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that by testing, that's what we're talking about, shaking, burning, so that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so I think we're still going through reset. And if you haven't allowed the reset to start, let's start today. So let's go to the next word, reset. And the next R word was this word revival. Reset and revival. Revival was another word God put on my heart as we started March of 2020. And if you grew up in a, in a Christian home, especially um, one of the previous generation, if you heard that word revival, you may have automatically had pictures in your mind of, of large tents, right? Maybe some of you grew up with, with big tents, uh, revivals, where, where maybe an evangelist or a preacher would come and visit a city and come into a tent and hold a revival meeting. And those were good things, but we oftentimes forget the meaning of the word revival. And so um, I actually had someone reach out to me today and said, hey, I see that this service is called revival. What can I expect at this revival meeting that I'm coming to? That's a good question. And I said, well, we're going to talk about revival. What does revival mean? Uh, there were great healing revivals of the early 20th and mid-20th centuries. Um, there were great revivals of people coming to Jesus um, toward the latter part of the 20th century. And, and great people like Billy Grahams, we would associate him with leading these revivals and many other heroes of our faith. And so what do we think about when we think about this word revival? Is, is it always talking about, you know, experiencing the, the power of God through the word and preaching and worship and prayer? Well, here's what that word means. And 
if you have your app, I think we put the definitions there. And um, if you're watching online, I'll, I'll have the definition up on the screen for you. But it's this word revival. Revival means an act or an instance of reviving. The state of being revived, such as renewed attention to, renewed interest in something, a new presentation or publication of something that is old. In a religious sense, the word revival means a period of renewed religious interest. And here's um, definition C, number two, often highly emotional evangelistic meeting or searings of meetings. And that's true. That's what we think of. But I want you to pay attention to the first things. An act or instance of reviving something. A new presentation of something that's old. A period of renewed interest. And then finally, the definition of revival is a restoration of force. A restoration of vitality. A restoration of effect. And so the revival, as God put this word, reset and revival on my heart, it was revival in the actual sense and definition of the word. It's a reviving of what we once had. A reviving of what the church once had. Fellowship church, the church, all, all churches who follow Christ. A reviving of what Christians once had. Most importantly, a revival of what you once had. A renewed interest in Christ is the kind of revival that God put on my heart. A restoration of force that you once walked in in Christ. A restoration of the effect that Christ once had on your life. When I think about revival, I think about a restored passion. A restored passion for Jesus. And only when a church or the church experiences such reset and experiences such revival will a born-again baby boom take place? There's the third word. So we talk about revival, reset first, and then this idea of born-again baby boom. Sounds pretty strange. You see, a revival is a reawakening of something that's old. A revival is a reawakening of passion, but, but this idea of being born again or, or a born-again baby boom, that's not a renewal of anything. It's something entirely new. Jesus said, you must be born again. And so if you've never been, quote unquote, born again, if you've never met Jesus before, if you've never had an encounter in a passionate relationship with Jesus, you actually can't experience revival because you have nothing to revive. And so if you're encountering Jesus for the first time, we'd actually have to call that just simply vival. Or if you think about it, like revival, some of you need revival. And I believe with all my heart that the Pacific Northwest of the United States of America does not need revival. The Pacific Northwest actually needs revival. And that's actually truth. Uh, missiologists, people who study missions and churches actually call the Pacific Northwest a pre-Christian region where most of America we could look at and say, well, it's kind of a post-Christian. Um, the Northwest and New England are really pre-Christian in a lot of ways. The majority of people have never experienced true vival, true born-again new life and relationship with Jesus Christ. And so revival is reawakening where vival or being born again is just simply waking up for the first time. 
the most popular phrase of the day, um, okay, boomer, right? Like, there, there's probably one phrase I've heard about 100 times this week, and that, that word was, the phrase is, because of, because COVID. I don't ever want to hear that phrase again in my life after this year. Well, because COVID, and like, that's the excuse for everything. Um, sir, do you know how fast you were going? Well, because COVID. Um, do you know how late you showed up for work today? Well, because COVID, it's, it's an excuse that's just not going to get us very far. But this phrase that we heard before March, the, the main phrase on everybody's lips was, okay, boomer. So what was this boomer? What is a boomer? And a lot of you, like, um, total losers like my teenage son, they will say, like, okay, boomer, to, like, an older millennial. It's like, no, you can't say okay, boomer, to an older millennial. Uh, uh, some try to say okay, boomer, to um, Gen Xers like myself. It's like, no, you're, you're missing out. If you're truly a boomer, a boomer was someone who was born between 1946 and 1974. Some of you who are younger in on the boomers are like, crap, that's me too. <laughs> I'm a boomer also. So between the year 1946 and 74, there were 76 million babies born in the United States of America. During that 18-year um, period, 76 million the millennial generation um, is just almost to that, but this was the largest generation our country ever saw between 46 and 74. Okay, boomer. Some of you are actually older than boomers, and you were holding on to the hope that you were still a boomer. <laughs> so, yeah, like, that's not me. So it's like, okay, pre-boomer. Um, but what is this baby boom? Well, it's after World War II when all of these soldiers came home and after the nation had gone through this tragedy of World War II, and in many ways, you know, people pitched in to save the world, there was this baby boom of 76 million babies in the United States of America, and it happened all over Europe as well. People were having babies again. It was a baby boom. And so when March 1st began, I started praying for a, a born-again baby boom. And I know it sounds cheesy, but I, I started praying for this, this ushering in of a season where many millions of people would come to know Jesus through the hard times and the fires and the shaking that this world would go through. At first, we thought it was because COVID, but now we're realizing it's a whole lot more. So throughout and after this season we're in, I'm praying for people to be born again, to come to experience Jesus. But we've got to experience a reset. We've got to experience a revival, and we've got to experience this prayer of, of millions of people coming to know Jesus. It's not, it's not going to happen without us, though. So I think a lot of us think, well, we're only going to experience this when someone else does it. Um, I, I've been in the nonprofit and the church world for decades, and what I've learned about volunteering and volunteers is that if you say in your head, oh, someone else will take care of this, someone else will do it. How many of you have learned if someone else will do it, it won't get done? We have to step up. We have to choose to take responsibility. Someone else will serve people affected by wildfires. Someone else will take care of my children. Someone else will take care of the next generation. But if someone else will do it, nobody will. We have to rise to the occasion. And so if you could look with me at Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 13. Paul writes, as the Spirit of God leads him, writes to the church, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And sometimes we just focus on that, like, oh, that's awesome. 
Bible, born again. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so that's all I need is to be saved, and then someone else will do the rest. But listen to the rest of this verse. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? So how can someone believe in the name of the Lord to be saved if they don't even know the Lord to believe in? He says, how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard about before? So not only can they not believe in a God they don't know, but they'll never know the God unless they've never heard about this God. And it says, how are they going to hear about this God without someone preaching? And automatically, when you hear the word preaching, most of us think someone else will do it. I'm not a preacher, so someone else will preach. But Paul says, how will anybody know to believe unless someone preaches? And the verse ends with verse 15, this idea. He says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? And so if we want to see people come to know Christ, come to follow Jesus and walk in relationship with him, it's going to take uh, words coming out of our mouths. It's going to take people to send people to do that so that people can know what it is and who it is they're calling upon to be saved. And so if we desire to experience, if we desire to see people experience this born-againness in Jesus, then we have to share his good news. And a lot of us, we might think, okay, well, I want to share the news of Jesus because I have experienced Jesus so much myself, and so I want other people to experience Jesus. And yeah, that's cool. But we forget oftentimes that Jesus actually commands us to do it. So not only is there an opportunity to share life and revival and awakening and born-againness of Jesus with others, it's not just a desire, it's a command. Jesus says in Matthew 28, he says, Go, therefore, go make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he says, um, you know, if, if you're afraid to do that, if you're concerned about that, don't worry because I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, so not only do I want people to experience what you've experienced, but I'm actually commanding you to go. And if you're afraid to go, and if you're afraid to make disciples, if you are afraid to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, if you're afraid to teach people the commands of Jesus, I've got your back. I'm with you. I'm empowering you. I am going to send you and empower you. So here's where we wrap this up, and we'll continue for the next couple weeks. Reset, a resetting of, of where we should be. Revival, a reawakening of passion. Born again, baby boom, people coming to know Christ. And so that brings us to our mission as a church, this idea of go. Um, this is our, our vision weekends as a church, and it, it's weird sitting out in the cold outside and doing this, but... Listen to our, our mission as a church. Our mission is Fellowship Church, and it's really the mission of all churches who call upon Christ. It's, it's to connect people to an everlasting, committed relationship with Jesus Christ and with others. That's it. That's why this church exists. It's why all churches exist. To connect people to a relationship with Jesus that's committed, that's everlasting, and to connect people to others because we need each other to strengthen each other and to work with and for and serve one another. And something I was thinking about this week is 
Uh, mission can't pause for COVID. I don't think that we're going to um, stand before the judgment seat of God one day and, and have questions asked. And I don't know if we're going to have questions like this asked before the judgment seat of God, but I don't think we're going to go before the judgment seat of God. And, and when, when people come to mind that we didn't reach for Christ or when regions come to mind that we didn't reach for Christ or when people come to mind that we never shared Christ with, I don't think we can look at God and say, because COVID. Mission can't pause for COVID. But many of us have done just that. We, we put our lives on hold and we failed to actually do ministry and reach people because we're so concerned about an illness when there is actually a much greater disease called sin, which causes people to be separated from God for eternity. We can't stand before the seat of God and say, Jesus, I understand the Great Commission, uh, but because COVID, we, we couldn't do it. Mission can't pause for COVID. I, I've seen too many suicides over the last couple of months. Seen far too many deaths, far too much depression, far too much anxiety, far too much fear, far too much hopelessness. And, and at least for me, I can't speak for you, but as a pastor, I can't say because COVID anymore because people are hurting way too bad. And it, we can't allow people to suffer so greatly and put our lives on hold because of whatever it is. Mission can't pause for wildfires. We can't pause and say, well, in a year when, when fire recovery has stopped, then we'll go on mission. This is the greatest fire recovery of all, is the gospel of Christ. So find ways to serve, find ways to give, find ways to go into fire and to rescue people who are perishing, to bring hope to people who have lost it and to help people who need it. Because mission won't pause for wildfires. Mission can't pause for an election. Mission can't pause for a, a Supreme Court justice. Mission can't pause for presidents or senators or congressmen. Mission can't pause for those things. Mission can't pause for social unrest. Do you know what the greatest answer to social unrest is? Do you know what the greatest answer for social justice is? It's, it's called the gospel. The good news of Jesus, that Jesus loves and died for all people. And that whoever would call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I believe there's great reforms we can see as regions and nations, but the greatest reform we could ever see is people actually coming to know Jesus. And what I've learned in studying history is the more and more that we try to reform things by ourselves without Jesus, the more and more those things fail and fall apart. When we try to start putting puzzles together without the actual main piece, which is Jesus Christ, it just doesn't come into view. It doesn't end up making a lasting change. So without Jesus, real change doesn't happen. Real change has to happen in our hearts. Jesus said, you must be born again. And so heart change is the only thing that can bring real change. Heart change is the only thing that can bring real change. And there's only one source of heart change, and it's Jesus Christ. The church can't change your heart. A good book can't change your heart. 
a TV special, a documentary, Can't Change Your Heart. Uh, the greatest movements our country has seen apart from Christ can't change your heart. Only Jesus can actually change your heart. And maybe you've tried and you've, you've failed and you've come to see like, yeah, Jesus is, is really the only one who can change this. There's no true recovery of addiction without Christ. There's no true restored relationship without Christ. There's no true forgiveness without Christ. And we're seeing a world right now where if someone does something wrong, we canceled them forever because they did something wrong in the past where Jesus says, hey, I can forgive that. I can redeem that. I can restore that. And I can change people's hearts and I can change the world. And so heart change comes from Jesus and heart change happened when Jesus vibes us for the first time and when Jesus actually sets our hearts ablaze. And heart change can continue to happen in the life of a follower of Jesus as we allow ourselves to be reset and as we allow ourselves to be revived. And we can ask Jesus to burn that flame of passion in our heart that's been so wet and so flameless and so passionless for so long. So I can speak for myself that I would like to see a revival of passion again for, for me. And maybe you might like that as well. A revival of the passion that you once had for Jesus. And Jesus can burn on the altar of your heart an igniting flame of passion. So I would say it's, right now it's go time. Church, it's, it's go time. We've, we've lost too much time. Time is short. Jesus is returning. People are perishing, and we need to make sure that during this time, Jesus resets us and revives us so that we can see people be born again. And in case you are concerned that you need to pause, here's some things Jesus promised us. Jesus promised us that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us when we go and make disciples. Jesus promised that darkness cannot overcome light. Jesus promised us that he would be with us, that he would never leave us, he would never forsake us. Jesus promises us through his word in Isaiah that no weapon that's formed against us will prosper. It's declared in Philippians 4 that we can actually do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And in American history, we've used that oftentimes to say, yeah, we can go get a better job because God gave us strength. We can go buy a better house because God gives us strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And so we're like, the, the greatest time we've ever used that phrase before is on the elliptical. Like, I can do all things. That's not what it means. Use it all you want, but that's not what it's for. When Paul wrote that in Philippians, when he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, he was talking about we can do all things through persecution, through Christ who gives us strength. And so as you're being persecuted, as you are being attacked by the enemy, as there are things getting in the way of doing gospel-oriented things, that's when that verse kicks in and says, I can still do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And if you need to use it on the elliptical, go for it. But, but it's about persecution. It's about this idea you can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So what are, what's holding us up? The early church met and gathered and worshipped and went on mission at the potential of being torn in two. The early church gathered and was on mission and shared the gospel at the risk of being fed to lions, forced to fight gladiators, 
crucified upside down, burned alive, skinned alive, beheaded, on and on and on and on. And, and what are we afraid of? If we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, what are we waiting on? How, how much longer can we say, because economic trouble, because social unrest, because wildfires, because COVID, we can't be the church. The church has been the church for a long time. And they've recognized that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We're being reset. We need revival. We need a revival of passion. We need a revival of Jesus setting our hearts ablaze once again, because that is where revival starts. And Elaine actually made this for me. I didn't know she made it until this morning. It's this, this uh, heart on fire. And we, this was designed before this last two weeks. Um, so no insensitivity meant. But this is a heart on fire. You see, revival starts here. Revival starts here. Oh, big tent meetings start here? No, 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 no. A revival of passion starts here. A revival of God working in your life, a revival of a relationship with Christ, a revival of force and vitality starts on the altar of your heart. And and you can't impact here. You can't impact the city around you. You can't impact the nation or the world unless this has been impacted. Unless your heart has been impacted, nothing else can be impacted. And so quit looking at other people and saying, I hope that revival starts for them. I hope that they have a reinvigoration of their passion. We do that in our marriages, by the way. Man, I hope my husband really would be revived in his passion for me. Or man, I wish my wife would be revived in her passion for me. It doesn't start with your wife. It doesn't start with your husband. It starts with you. It starts here. If you want to see change in your life, the only place it starts is on the altar of your own heart. Oftentimes, people will come into communities. They might put up a tent. They might have a big worship rally. And sometimes we think we need them to come to our city so that we can experience revival. No one needs to come to your city to experience revival. The one who brings revival is already here. You don't need to invite them to come. You don't need to go to a tent to experience it. Revival starts here in your heart. The Spirit of God is here. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So we don't need to seek revival somewhere else. We don't need to search for revival somewhere else. We don't need to have revival come to us. Revival starts here. Someone doesn't have to come here to a church to experience it. They need to experience here. So I'm asking God to revive our hearts again. I'm asking God to revive our passion again, to bring revival and to set our hearts aflame and ablaze with him once again. So our vision this year is just passion. Be passionate again. Find something to be passionate about, but Let it be about Jesus. Find passion in 2020 and 2021. Find a heart that burns for Jesus. Don't just seek reset, seek revival, and don't just let the revival stop here. Let the revival impact here all around us. One more verse, and Casey's going to lead us in a time of communion and, and song. Luke 24, verse 32. 
Jesus had risen from the grave? On Sunday late afternoon of his resurrection and Sunday evening around dinner time, there were two disciples who had been discouraged and dismayed and their fire was going out. And so they started to go home. Well, if, if this guy we've been following is dead, we might as well just go home. So they started walking home uh, to this town called Emmaus. And on, on the road back to their hometown of Emmaus, um, they're talking about Jesus and basically how they're being discouraged and how they've been let down. And of all the people that come up alongside these two men, Jesus starts to walk beside them on the road back to Emmaus. I think it was a 17-mile walk. On the road back to Emmaus, they're, 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 they're moving back, and they're passing out communion right now. And if you could please focus in, and just a heads up, it is very difficult to get the wafer out of the top of that communion receptacle. So don't look around and think, man, is everybody else having as hard a time as me? They are. It's hard, okay? But focus in, please. Jesus comes alongside of these two guys walking back to Emmaus. And Jesus is just amazing at asking really weird questions. And Jesus essentially walks up to these guys and was like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Well, we're talking about this guy we followed. He, he died. Some women say he rose from the grave. And we don't know what to believe, so we're going home. And the Bible says that Jesus, who they did not recognize... Sometimes when our fire goes out, it's hard to recognize Jesus. Jesus, whom they did not recognize, as he is walking alongside of them, it says that he opened up the scriptures. He opened up the scriptures to them, and he started to open up their hearts to understand how all of the scriptures were about him. And so the two guys start heading to their home when they come to the cross and the roads. And Jesus starts going his own way, and he's just kind of faking them out, like, hey, guys, I'm going to keep walking. And they say, no, 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 stay with us. It's late. Come have dinner with us. And so they're sitting at their home, at their dinner table in the town of Emmaus, and Jesus is there with them. They do not know it's him yet. Jesus, for some reason, has veiled their hearts to understand that it's him. And so Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it for them. And they begin to be prepared to eat. And the moment that the bread is broken, Scripture says that their eyes were opened, their heart was set aflame, and they knew that this man they had just walked with for hours and who had just sat down at their dinner table was indeed Jesus, the man they thought was dead, but was very much revived. His body experienced revival. And the moment that they recognized it was Jesus, Jesus literally teleports out of the room and back to Jerusalem. And the part of the story we never talk about is these poor guys didn't get the chance to eat. Jesus disappears. They jump up off the floor from the table they sat at, and they ran back uphill to Jerusalem to tell the rest that Jesus had risen indeed. And here's what they said, Luke 24. Here's what they said when they, when they had the bread broken by Jesus, when they understood it was Jesus, here's what they said. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? 
Did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road? When he opened up the scripture, didn't our hearts burn within us? Could you close your eyes? We should all have some communion packets now, and don't worry about them for a second. Just if you close your eyes. Listen to the words of these disciples. Did not our hearts burn within us while Jesus talked to us when Jesus opened up the scripture? They had some understanding of Jesus before this, but they certainly didn't have a full understanding of Jesus before this. It wasn't until they had experienced the risen Christ. It wasn't until they had an encounter with the risen Christ. It wasn't until the risen Christ broke his body and broke the bread that they understand, that they understood this real passion, this real fire. I was 19 years old before I had a fire ignited on my heart. But I had about 18 years of knowing some things about Jesus. I had about 18 years of, of knowing the Bible, knowing about salvation, knowing about church. I knew a lot of good things, but I didn't know the good thing. I didn't know him. But at 19 years old, a flame ignited on the altar of my heart. And you say, well, pastor, what did you do to get there? Nothing. He did it. He did it. He ignited a flame on my heart. What did these two disciples, um, it was a husband and wife, by the way, what did they do on the way back to Emmaus? What did they do to allow the flame of God to burn on their hearts? They did absolutely nothing. In fact, they were doing the wrong thing. They were actually walking away. But Jesus has a tendency to chase us down when we walk away. Jesus has a tendency to leave the 99 to go after the one. Jesus has a tendency to tear up a house to find a lost coin. And to wait and receive at all costs the son who has run away. And so after 18 years of knowing about Jesus, at 19 I actually knew Jesus because Jesus ignited a flame on my heart. And so now, 21 years later, I can look back and say, man, my heart burned within me when Jesus talked to me. When Jesus set that fire on my heart, my heart burned within me. He opened up the scripture so I could understand. And I can look back at that as a memory. Like, wow, that was a really good time. That was a really good memory. But Jesus igniting a fire on your heart is not a one-and-done thing, guys. It doesn't, it's not like the flame ignites your heart and then you're good. Okay, gave my life to Jesus. I got baptized, signed a piece of paper. I got my ticket to heaven. I'm solid. If that's what Christianity is about, I want nothing to do with it. I want something that changes my life. I want something that's good now. I want passion now. I want relationship with Christ now. I want to walk in the power of Jesus, not for my own good, but for his will right now. It's not something, I don't live as a Christian for heaven. I live as a Christian for Jesus now. Our goal is not heaven. Our goal is relationship with Christ for eternity beginning right now. 
So think back to the moment where Jesus saved you and think to yourself for a moment, man, didn't my heart burn within me when that happened? And if the answer to that question is yes, I would say, let it happen again. Let it happen again. Let it happen again. Well, because COVID, because wildfires, because social unrest, because the election, you think that the fire of God is going to wait for those things? Don't let your heart be dismayed. Jesus says, believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus wants your heart ablaze now. And you might miss out on the greatest move of God that God's ever ignited on your heart because of whatever your word is, whether it's because COVID, social unrest, wildfires, whatever. God wants your heart now. Revival starts here. I want to experience a revival of passion that we would see passion burn for Jesus hotter than ever. That it would ignite a born-again baby boom within our nation and our region. So let it, let it come ablaze today. Here's our vision as a church. I said what our mission was. Our, our vision is to be a multiplying movement of passionate followers of Jesus, passionate followers of Jesus who impact their community and beyond with grace, love, and hope. You say, what's our vision as a church? we got to be passionate again. We just have to. All, that's the only thing to live for is passion for Christ. We want to see passion ignite and multiply. I'm going to invite you into that vision of being passionate about Christ once again. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. I'm going to invite you to take communion with us. Um, when I'm done leading us in that prayer, and when we take communion, I'm just going to say like four ways you can be involved in our vision as a church as we move forward, as we choose to move forward. But let's go ahead and, and, and bow our heads and, and close our eyes so there's no distraction as we begin to take communion. And someone could bring me one of those special packs if you want to pre-open the wafer because I got a microphone in my hand. Okay. So, focus in on, on what I want to share right now. If you've never had a fire ignited on your heart for Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Jesus said God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so Jesus loves you. Jesus lived a perfect life for you that you could never live. As hard as you tried, it will never happen. Jesus died for your sins. He took on the punishment and the wrath of God for the forgiveness of your sins upon himself. So that through the life and death of Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven. And as we just spoke, Jesus was revived from the grave. Jesus rose from the grave, showing and revealing that he forever defeated Satan, sin, hell, and death. And so through his death, we have forgiveness of sins. Through his resurrection, we have life. And he gives it to all who are undeserving of it. And who is that? That's everybody. 
That's grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. So Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. It says, We are Christ's workmanship. We're created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. And so you might say, what do I need to do for my heart to be set ablaze? What do I need to do to receive Jesus? You need to do nothing. Jesus has done it all. And he gives this gift of salvation, this gift of grace. And you receive it in faith. What is faith? Is faith church attendance, giving in an offering, singing a song, being confirmed or baptized? No. Faith is trusting in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life receiving the gift by trusting in Jesus. And so here's the final verse. Paul says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So no one looking around, both online and in person, you'd say, uh, Pastor Anthony, today I don't know Jesus. I've never had that flame ignited on my heart. I've known about him, but I've never known him. If you'd like to put your trust in Jesus today, with, with no one looking around, would you just raise your hand as high as you can and put it right back down and say, today, that's, that's me. I, I, I choose you, Christ. I choose you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to walk after you. I want you to ignite passion in my heart that I've never known before. If that's you, if you're trusting in Christ, choosing life in him today, He's forgiving your sins. He's restoring your relationship with God. He's giving you an everlasting life. He's filling you with his spirit, which ignites your heart. I want to encourage you to let someone know. Let someone know, today I choose to follow Jesus. And for those who would say, today I know Jesus. I, I actually know him, but man, my fire has gone out. My altar is, is very wet. My heart has not seen a flame from Christ in a long time. And, and for this year, I would like to experience revival. If you want to experience a revival of the passion that you have for Jesus, would you just, as an act and a sign of faith, would you lift your hand to heaven and say, yes, God, that's me. I want revival. I know I've felt very unrevived lately. But, but as an act of faith, if you want revival, just lift your hands to heaven and say, God, this morning I, I choose to be revived in you. I want passion to burn on my heart again. I want your flame of love and purpose and vision for your kingdom and for my life to burn again. So God, revive our passion. Lord, reset us. Even if it's painful, reset us. If there are things our foundations are built on that are not on you, reset those things. If there are things that we're holding on to that are being burned in the trials and the fires we're going through, then burn those things up, Jesus. Let us come out refined in you. And as we are reset, revive our hearts once again so that we can see people born again with the same birth that we've experienced in you. Do you want to open up this wafer and this juice?